the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 140, covering the week of October 1st through October 5th, 2018. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Abbeville Institute, like our Facebook page at Abbeville Institute, and of course, subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville Institute. If you want to find those things, you can go to our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. At the top of the page, you got all our social media buttons. While you're there, leave us an email address, and we'll give you a free ebook. And then you'll get our daily dose of Dixie, Monday through Friday, and a weekly email, Saturday or Sunday, which includes a link to this podcast. Also, download our app. You can get it at your favorite application store, Google Play, your iTunes. It's free. It's your Abbeville Institute on the go. It does include uh, a link to this podcast in that particular app, so you get the Abbeville Institute wherever you are. Again, free of charge. Also, you can get your Abbeville Institute gear. If you go to abbevilleinstitute.org at the top of the page, you'll see a button that says support. Click on that. You've got a shop option. Go out and get your embroidered Abbeville Institute uh, shirts, hats, a lot of great stuff there. I haven't talked about in a while, but uh, they are fantastic quality. Um, So go on out and get your Abbeville Institute apparel. It's, uh, It's a way to support the Institute and to show around town that you support the Institute and maybe get people interested Uh, Also remember that we exist on your generous contributions alone, so please consider a tax-deductible donation to the Abbeville Institute. You can donate monthly or annually. All that information is available on our website, again, under the tab Support. Just click on that. You have Donations for Individuals or Donor Options, I think it says, and uh, you can click on that and support the Institute. And last but not least, we do have our conference coming up, November 10th, 2018, Dallas, Texas. The Revival of Secession and State Nullification. It is going to be a fantastic conference. We now have uh, seven speakers, uh, and we've added the uh, Cal Exit people to come talk about their particular movement because it is a an effort to join hands across the political divide. The Cal Exit people are all leftists, and they want to have a dialogue with people who are conservative about uh, supporting the secession of the state of California. And so as a conference for educational purposes, which is what we're doing, we've invited them to come out and just talk about what they're doing and also talk about this issue um, and this idea that you know left and right can work together in a common goal. And that common goal, of course, is decentralization. Uh, and the ideas of decentralization appeal to everyone. They appeal to those on the left. They appeal to those on the right. The 10th Amendment Center is certainly part of that, too. So come on out to the conference. All the information is available in the middle of our page. It says you're invited. Click on that link. Register for the conference. You don't have much time left. You've got till uh, October 18th to get the discounted hotel rate. So we've only got a little less than two weeks left to get that. So make sure that you're going out there and uh, and picking up a registration and coming on out uh, to the conference itself. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the material for the week. And uh, this week was um, kind of a New South week. And I love it when we do New South weeks because um, it's, a, it's an area that needs more exploration. It's an area that needs more time to, uh, to talk about. We, we have... Um, we always have a material on, on the antebellum period of the war, and we actually had one piece uh, on that, uh, actually two pieces on that this week as well. Uh, but the three pieces that I want to focus on more, more uh, 
or focus on for, for this particular podcast, excuse me, would be the, the Monday, Tuesday, and Friday pieces. Um, I'll briefly talk about the Wednesday and Thursday, but the New South is an area that I think shows uh, conclusively that um, this reconstruction that was ongoing, that began in the 1860s in the North, is going to last longer than just a, a decade or so in the South. In fact, I think you can say that uh, we're still going through some phases of Reconstruction today. In fact, what we're looking at maybe is what they called, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they called it a second Reconstruction. I think we're undergoing a third Reconstruction. But the economy of the South, of course, was always part of this. Um, we can look at the social and political transformation, and of course that is ongoing in the South, and the United States writ large. I mean, Reconstruction was not just a Southern phenomenon. It was a United States phenomenon. I think the Dunning School, particularly William Dunning himself, did a better job with this than just about anybody else. Dunning recognized in his Reconstruction Political and Economic that the effort of Reconstruction did not just affect the South. And it wasn't just a social transformation. There were other things going on here. And in fact, you could say that Reconstruction began in the North long before it began in the South, because as the Republican Party gained ascendancy, the Democrats, who had long opposed the Republicans' political and economic agenda, had no power to stop it. And so during the war, you're seeing the Reconstruction of the North, uh, quite clearly, you're seeing the Reconstruction of the North as the Republican Party controlled the United States Congress and most of the northern state legislatures. Uh, and so <clears throat> you had that process going on. And then, of course, when the South comes back into the Union, then they are going to be affected by the policies. But we wouldn't have had the Gilded Age, for example, without Northern Reconstruction. The Gilded Age was part and parcel of Reconstruction. Uh, and that's just one. So the New South would not have been there without Reconstruction. The New South was the effort to foist this northern economy upon the South. And people like Henry Grady and others adopted it. The, the misconception about Henry Grady is that he was somehow anti-Old South. Henry Grady was never anti-Old South. Um, he simply believed that the, that the South had to adapt to the changing circumstances of the Union and adopt uh, industrialization. Uh, that was it. Um, and you had a lot of Southerners in that particular mold. And I've talked about this before. Even when you look at Southern labor uh, and you look at Southern factory work, it was um, very much influenced by the Southern attitudes of paternalism, uh, which, of course, dominated Southern labor before the war. I mean, you have this dispute, of course, was slavery capitalist? Was it paternalist? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, there's there's no doubt that Southerners were making a lot of money, and uh, but there's also no doubt that their their belief in labor was paternalistic. It was not a free wage labor system, of course, and free wage labor is not paternalistic at all. You hire somebody if they don't do the job, you fire them, and you really don't care about the consequences. You don't take care of anybody unless they're working for you, and there you're trying to pay them the lowest wage possible um, so that you can maximize your profits. In the South, you still had Southerners trying to get by on the on the lowest expenses possible in slavery. So in that particular case, there's similar. But also you had cradle-to-grave uh, support for slaves when they couldn't work when they were young and when they couldn't work when they were old. 
slaves are still supported in the system. So it's a different type of system, and um, the the expense was different. And when you look at what's happening in Southern factory work, you had this attitude uh, developing. Not not every factory did this, but among some Southern factory owners, that you had a different type of working environment, one that would uh, promote not just the best practices for getting the most out of your, or I should say for, for maximizing profit, but also for getting the most out of your workers. And oftentimes that involved things like providing housing, providing different types of, uh, of land so that uh, these individuals, when they had a house in a factory town, could have a garden. So it was, uh, you know, uh, when you had a, a lunch break was different. Breaks were, con- were conducted differently. And I point to uh, the Callaway family and, and what he was trying to do in, in labor standards. Now, it didn't mean that some Northerners weren't trying to do this as well, because they were. Uh, you had people like uh, Westinghouse, who was very interested in, in uh, maintaining a happier workforce through different types of benefits. But this idea of benefits for workers certainly had a Southern flavor to it. And I think that's an interesting part of, of Southern history, this, this New South period. Also, all these Confederate statues being built uh, in the South, um, it was remembrance of the Old South, at least the men who fought. Um, and that was the, the point more than anything else. I mean, we, we can, people can attach all kinds of uh, sinister motives to these statues, but it just wasn't there. And these, these were designed to support and recognize the... Southerners who fought and died in the war. But anyways, I digress. Uh, one thing that is, is clear, though, even this attachment to the, to the Old South, or at least a, a respect for the Old South in the New South, went away, or is going away, and the New South now is even different. There's a reconstruction of the New South. We're in a different phase of reconstruction now. And uh, the piece that we ran on Monday uh, clearly gets into this. And anyone that's lived in the South and the entitled is Reconstructing the New South. Anyone that's lived in the South in the past, well, you know, 20 years understands this is going on. What you're seeing in cities across the South, and James Rutledge Roach gets into this, what you're seeing in cities across the South is a different type of South. Places like Annapolis, Asheville, Atlanta, Austin, Charlotte, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, Raleigh, Durham, San Antonio, all these cities... Um, are being reconstructed again, and it's being—they're being reconstructed not by Northerners moving in, of course that is part of it, but by Southerners themselves who have adopted a view of the South itself as bad. It's a bad place. We need to—we need to have a new Nashville. Uh, we need to have hipsters. We need to have uh, you know a, a, a type of South that's uh, more like San Francisco or more like uh, a. a a modern-day, uh, you know, uh, craft beer bar. I mean, and of course, I like that kind of stuff. I, I like craft beers, and I like these things. I mean, that stuff is interesting. I like, uh, you know, different kinds of food. Everybody likes these things. Um, but the point is th- that that stuff can exist within the Old South, but what they're trying to say is that we need a new type of South, that this is all... And so they're going through a cultural... Uh, reconstruction in these areas and all the traditional parts of the south are being pushed aside uh, for this new view of what the south should be these southerners don't like the south 
They don't like the fact the South, uh, anything that the South contributed to America or Western civilization. Um, and so this new New South, and I say, or New South with NU, this, this New South is certainly part of a third reconstruction. The South is becoming less Southern. Um, and so when you look at the publications, and, and Roche does a nice job with this, goes through some modern Southern publications and talking about um, how all these people just want to bash the old South. They want to bash anything about the South that they don't, that they don't, anything that was traditional in the South is no good. The South has to be the new South and you South. And so, you know, part of the reason these Confederate statues are coming down is because Southerners want them to come down. I think it's very clear. There are a lot of Southerners. We just saw this week that there are some streets that have been renamed in Atlanta. They've taken Confederate out of the name, and that's because people in Atlanta want that to happen. Now, uh, that's that's part of the process. Um, we can we can say, well, we, we can hand ring over this, but as people that have different views, political views, different social views come into an area, this is what's going to happen as Southerners themselves. And if that's what the people of, of Atlanta want, well, fine. I mean, I don't live in Atlanta. Uh, and I know that might irritate some people when I say that. People are going to, wow, you need to go and fight for these things. Well, I mean, this is, uh, Dr. Livingston and I had a long conversation about this one time. If all the symbols of the South went away, if everything Confederate went away, if all the symbols went away, the Southern tradition would still exist. It might be dormant. You think of Ireland. The green flag was illegal in Ireland for, for years. It was illegal. People still had it, though, and they still showed it in private. And eventually, enough people started believing in the green flag again that it came out. So th this could be a long process. All these things could go away. Every Confederate thing could be renamed. All the Robert E. Lees could go away. Uh, all the flags could come down. I mean, all that stuff could happen. But at the end of the day, as long as the tradition continues to exist, um, it's it's still there. It could be it could be dormant, it could be latent, but it's still there. As long as education exists, and this is what the institute is all about, educating people on the tradition, and so we can have these pieces and we can talk about how ridiculous this is. This is and it's stupid. It is stupid. People don't. It, it's a nice example of of the fact that Reconstruction has been thorough in the South. People don't even understand their own traditions anymore. And, and they've become guilty about anything that is not, quote-unquote, new. And so they don't want to have any attachment to the old. You can have the old and the new coexist. This is what Grady was talking about. He said, I, I love the old South. I, I, I love uh, the people of the old South. I'm proud of my ancestors, but of course I want to have a new type of economy. And that was always the case in the South. They, they respected the people where they came from because they had a respect for tradition, but at the same time, they, were under, they understood that they were moving in a different direction in America, and so they embraced that. I mean, they wanted to be part of that movement. Southerners wanted to be part of this American experience. Now, they didn't want to be the other. And uh, so uh, by, by doing that, of course, you accept the fact that eventually things can change over time, and um, that's part of it. Uh, so this piece is interesting. I, I would highly recommend you read it. And then on Tuesday, we had a piece on Ty Cobb. And I, and I love this because it's something different. We, it's, a, it's a different thing to talk about. Ty Cobb, of course, 
from Georgia, played for the Detroit Tigers back in the dead ball era. And I'm, I'm a big baseball fan, and so uh, Ty Cobb is, is a lot of fun. Um, and the fact is, uh, Ty Cobb has been unjustly vilified because there are people that didn't like Ty Cobb. And you, generally it was people that were not as good as Ty Cobb, and Ty Cobb understood this. He uh, he understood that people that were not ball players like he was were going to criticize his type of play, and he never said he was dirty. In fact, he said, you know, all the things that I've been criticized for, I had the same things happen to me. It was a it was a rougher era when it came to baseball. I mean, these men were tough, and uh, some of the things you can't get away with today. For example, you can't slide hard into home plate. You can't hot slide hard into second base. Uh, because of player safety. I mean, these things were just accepted. Ty Cobb said he had gashes, scars in his leg from being stepped on at second base all the time by second baseman spiking him. Um, you know, these things happened. Um, and Ty Cobb was a master of the game. He was a person that loved classical music. And while all his buddies were out drinking, uh, Ty Cobb was a devout Christian. While all his buddies were out drinking, he was in listening to classical music and studying baseball. And so this is he would he would do things to uh, what a modern player does they study film of course he couldn't do that he took notes on players and he would study those notes and so he understood their tendencies this is why Ty Cobb was able to be one of the greatest hitters in the history of the game the problem with Ty Cobb is that you had all these people didn't like him so you have the Ken Burns baseball series that calls Ty Cobb an evil racist uh, this guy was just a, a miserable individual nobody liked him this is completely untrue. Uh, Ty Cobb um, was a person who was well-liked in, uh, in the period. In fact, he was in the first class that went into the Hall of Fame. People liked Ty Cobb. There are some videos out there, interviews with Ty Cobb, uh, where he is, um, he's, he's, a, a well, he's a likable guy. Um, and he simply talks about baseball. And um, he's not someone who was uh, this evil uh, just miserable person that he's portrayed as. And this actually gets into um, Southern history and how it's portrayed. Um, and so you see that the part of that New South is that people don't understand Southern history because they've been told it's all wrong. Ty Cobb is, is a bad guy because that's what popular culture has said. He's just a bad guy. We can't like Ty Cobb. Um, when you look at uh, the piece on Wednesday, you know, Confederate soldiers are not traitors. And what we're getting at here is is a distortion of history. And so that's where you know what we're doing is important knowledge understanding these type of things um, I I find it uh, fascinating oftentimes how how many people just take as you know for granted what what is being said about southern history uh, without even doing any investigation for themselves uh, and that's essentially what we have and why people in the new south don't like the south and why people would Go out and just accept this this image of Ty Cobb as what he was, uh, without um, without question. Uh, so uh, the piece on Friday was also interesting. It's a little uh, dystopic uh, piece of fiction uh, written by uh, Lewis uh, Liverman, and um, I, it's Orwellian, and I think it's 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 funny. It was intended to be funny uh, because you know this is what we're headed towards. I mean, this is the the piece on Monday and Friday actually work very well together. Uh, it's it's what we're headed towards, you know. It's, it's rewriting history. It's it's an understanding of history that's something uh, that um, there's going to be a a top down structure. These are what these are the things you have to believe. 
Um, and I think you see that coming in the United States. Uh, there's, a, there's a belief that history has to be taught one way, and uh, if you don't believe in that, you will be assimilated. It's cultural assimilation. It's educational assimilation. Uh, and so things like the Abbeville Institute or any, anyone that likes to have a, a, a different view of, of the past, well, they have to be educated. You, know, you have to re- be re-educated. Uh, and so is this possible? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a little far-fetched here. But maybe not. I mean, nobody thought George Orwell's 1984 would ever come to pass, and it has in many ways. Um, not necessarily exactly the way he described it, but certainly parts of it have come to pass. And so maybe this, these type of things will, will come to pass. I mean, you look at the, the economy that uh, people on the left advocate. It's horrible. And so in the piece, he talks about you're living in shipping containers, uh, <laughs> a city of shipping containers, because everybody has to have the same. I mean, all these things are interesting uh, critiques and comments on modern society. Um, are we headed in that direction? Possibly. Uh, I do know that uh, you know, history is, uh, is interpretation. And so uh, when you have a dominant interpretation one way or the other, and it doesn't matter what uh, a, a different view would have, I mean, that, that has to be silenced. And so um, this is why I think discussing the New South in the re-education of Southerners, uh, even with an example like Ty Cobb, leads to something like we have on Friday, leads to something that where we have, you know, Confederate soldiers are all traitors. Uh, this is just accepted. You just say, oh, these traitors, the term traitors thrown around all the time. Um, it's, it's just accepted like that's what it was. Um, and for years, Americans, North and South, didn't use that term. But nowadays, it's just commonplace. Well, we're going to talk about the traitors of the South. This is how thorough the educational reconstruction has taken place. And that can lead to something like Friday. It also leads to something that's going on across the South right now, which is Southerners are saying, oh, we don't, we don't like the old South. We don't like the South, Southern tradition at all. We want to be the new South. Okay. But why is that? Because there's been a top-down reconstruction. And then the piece on Thursday was a uh, murder, a, cr- a true crime story, um, and it's by Sam, uh, Sam uh, Mitchum. And uh, Sammy Mitchum. And uh, Sammy Mitchum's a great author, wrote a great book about Bedford Forest, and uh, I highly recommend you pick that up. He's also written uh, works about World War II, uh, so he's a military historian. And uh, this little piece on, on Thursday talks about General uh, Van Dorn. And somebody, somebody emailed uh, the Institute and uh, said, now I connect the dots. There's a Walker Percy char- character, just like Van Dorn from Mississippi, and that's it. Yes, that's 100% accurate. Uh, Van Dorn was a, was a scoundrel, and eventually he was murdered. Um, uh, because he was uh, not a very good guy. He was not a very moral man. And so the South has complexities, but this little true crime story is a lot of fun to talk about. Um, and uh, the South had these things. I mean, there's, there's not a monolithic South, and I think that is also important to understand. There never has been a monolithic South. Um, there have been several different types of, of Souths. You have uh, you know, the Celtic South, the Cavalier South. You've got the Acadian South. Um, in Louisiana, you've got the Spanish South, you've got the German South in South Carolina. I mean, you have these different Souths, but um, uh, ultimately, these all these Southerners were dedicated to republicanism. Uh, this idea of limited self-government, or local self-government, um, and uh, that's something that held them together. So, 
you know, the fact that you have this cultural richness in the South didn't take away from the Southern tradition, which there was an overarching Southern tradition. It was dominated heavily by the Cavaliers, as David Hackett Fisher points out, and this Celtic, uh, Celtic uh, background. Uh, but certainly you had uh, an important understanding of what it meant to be Southern. And um, that transcended any other issue. Uh, and again, if, you, if you've never read David Hackett Fisher's Albion Seed, you need to because he talks about culture there. And culture was there before any other issue became apparent. There was already a cultural divide in America uh, in the colonial period between the North and South, and it was cultural. And that it didn't matter what issue you were talking about, it was all factored into that. They viewed the world differently. Um, and so uh, you, you could take that and uh, run with that in many different directions. And so that cultural difference then would factor into how these sections developed over time. We're losing that cultural distinctiveness in the South um, because the New South wants to jettison it for something that's San Francisco in origin or whatever the case may be. But that's what's happening. And so I love these, these weeks when we get to talk about the New South a little bit and Reconstruction because it's another part of Southern history. You know, Southern history is 400 years. Uh, Southern history is not four years. And so as we think about the South, and we've done a lot of things with the Colonial South, which is important, we've, and, and we'd like to do things with the New South, and of course the Reconstruction period, even you know, post-bellum uh, post military history is interesting. World War II, World War I, um, all of these different aspects of, of Southern history are interesting because they're bigger than just that four-year period. And I think Southerners need to understand that. And they also need to understand the culture uh, because that culture is what's going to maintain that tradition. Uh, all the symbols can go away. All the symbols can go away, but the, if the tradition remains, if the culture remains, those symbols can still be there ultimately. I mean, again, think of the, think of the green flag in Ireland. It was illegal, but eventually it came back. Why? Because the traditions were not erased. So, so the tradition is important to hang on to, which is why we're doing what we do. What is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, hanging on to those things, because those things will ultimately be lasting. All these other things can go away, but the tradition can be lasting, and that's important for a, for a long-term, vibrant society. Until next time, good day. Good day.